Welcome back, dear listeners. I'm Tabs, and I'm Stefan. You are listening to Shell Shock, a show where we talk about our feelings while trying not to get killed by the internet. On this second episode, we'll be discussing political correctness, safe spaces, trigger warnings, and which personal pronouns you should use when your friend is a gender-fluid reincarnated unicorn. This is not going to be an episode where we aim to deliver a final judgment on any of these topics, but rather it's going to be one where we share our personal experiences and thoughts about the topic, what we've seen, how we've seen others talk about it, and where we think things are going to go. The cry for social justice and political correctness seems a lot more prevalent these days than it perhaps used to be, so we thought it would be worth going into the topic to see where it takes us. I would like to give a warning to our listeners that during the course of this discussion, we might touch on some sensitive topics. So if you are not comfortable with this discussion, please be warned and tune out. Okay, uh, how do you feel about going first through some uh, dictionary-based definitions of all of these words, Stefan? Uh, that seems like a good place to start, actually. Okay. Uh, so political correctness, Let's, uh, how, how is that defined officially? According to the Merriam-Webster website, <laughs> political correctness, or adjectively being practically correct, means conforming to a belief that language and practices which could offend political sensibilities, as in matters of sex or race, should be eliminated. So that's the first one out. The next one is safe space, which is a place, as on a college campus, intended to be free of bias, conflict, criticism, or potentially threatening actions, ideas, or conversations. And the last one, which is a trigger warning, is a statement cautioning that content, as in a text, video, or class, may be disturbing or upsetting. So is this the point where we also start talking about these definitions, or you want to do that a bit further in? No, of course you can start talking about them. So how do you feel about these <laughs> statements? <laughs> uh, well, uh, the, you know, the definition of political correctness, that you uh, shouldn't offend political sensibilities, seems to me fine enough, uh, as in that's a self-contained definition. Uh, although I think people treat it as a lot more as about it being about political sensibility. It's just general, you know comfort in the public domain or the, the, the public when you're out in public um trigger warning also seems fair it's it's safe space that to me feels like the definition is not inclusive enough um i believe you said it's a uh, it's it's meant it's it's a space that's meant to be free of bias or conflict or you know you're supposed mm-hmm. to avoid or potentially threatening actions yeah, yeah so you're you're doing a lot to make people feel you know yeah. like safe and to that extent it makes sense but what I'd actually like to see added to the definition, how I personally tend to think of a safe space, is that uh, you create an area where um, also, if you're a speaker, if mm-hmm. you are trying to talk about uh, sensitive topics, that you know for sure that while you're in that space, you know, you're not going to get ostracized or judged or immediately, you know, booed out of the room for mm-hmm. for saying the wrong thing. Yeah. I say this because I've been part of a, and we've both actually, we've yeah. both been a part of a, 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 a sort of uh, discussion group, which had as a policy that every statement is sort of up fair game for discussing mm-hmm. and that you should not immediately uh, disregard any kind of idea. Let's, let's take the idea at face value and let's go with it. And I think we've both experienced that when you do that, you sort of create a, 
a situation where people feel a lot more safe talking about certain things and people sort of lower their guard and you can actually go to interesting places. Yeah. Do you feel that way too? I feel that way too. I think out of the all these three uh, phrases, the safest space is the one that I most disagree with. Like the way I look at the safest space is that it is a place or a forum or a live chat um, page that you can actually say much more than you might be able to in a regular daily basis. Like you can bring up all of your um, thoughts and perhaps even controversial thoughts and then not be, uh, your personality or your existence would not be attacked by it. Mm. So it's not only, in my mind, all of these things are the same cluster. They are meant for me to create uh, an environment, an atmosphere where we, can communicate and we are it feels like we are kind of in this social contract of being compassionate and Mm. showing empathy towards each other's experiences and Mm. each other's biases and as much as i would like to actually be critical therefore i wouldn't agree that a safest space should be someplace that is free of conflict or criticism i think actually what you should expect from a safer space should be a place that there are more on-point criticism over the things that you're saying that you are able to discuss things as deep as you would like to without trying to insult anyone's um, experience could, could we per- could we perhaps agree that uh, both of these spaces should exist as in I can imagine that there are circumstances during which you actually do want to create uh, like uh, a space in accordance to the uh, original definition you know mm-hmm. if you've incur- uh, like incurred some kind of deep personal trauma mm-hmm. uh, either be it physical or psychological you may have you know like a, a, a real need mm-hmm. for a space like this yeah. but uh, i think we can at least agree that oh yeah definitely. that's not the sole kind of safe space oh no 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 no, no so definitely not. Yeah. the kind that you describe where you actually know that you can be more open and be more critical mm-hmm. it's sort of like an addendum to the definition yeah yeah need. yeah i i definitely agree i i think it's important to have a place for people so we're not just pushing them into the pool, the cesspool that is humanity's <laughs> <laughs> actions and experiences. So they can go there and perhaps talk about anything, something else, and not always be in fear of, for example, race being brought up or um, gender issues being brought up. or Definitely, but I think it's good to have them as this complementing uh, mechanism mm. that you have this space that it could be uh, be there and be free of perhaps social conflicts because it is exhausting in fact to live in today's world and it's not bad to just plug out and have some moments of peace but at the same time you should also have a place that you could talk about these things i think they are complementary of each other Right. And they're both very important to have. Agree. Yeah. And trigger warning, I'm not actually quite sure why it became such a conflict, like having a trigger warning. Because to me, it comes as a natural thing, as as natural as you don't go to your child and suddenly show them some disturbing picture. And or you don't go to your friend and open your phone and you show, I don't know, you just invite them to like, oh, here, look at this porn that is so disturbing and completely opposite of what you might think or believe in. Like mm. the hat in itself of saying, oh, 
if I'm showing you this picture, for example, don't go to the left or right because I have some personal photos, that's already kind of a trigger warning because you don't want to invite them to a situation they're not ready for. Mm. And it is... To me, at least, is extremely important because you never know in public places, for example, in the classroom or in uh, debates, in discussions, in politics, you never know what kind of people are in your audience. And the effect of you bringing up something that is traumatizing them, that is bringing up um, memories for them that it should not, is quite dire and it doesn't really take away anything from the speaker to do so. As for the whether it's taking things away from the speaker, uh, I'm not so sure. Like you're you're asking, I think, like why did this become such a problem when it should be almost self-explanatory? Or uh, I think uh, one reason why you find so much op- opposition to the concept is because it's a new rule. Mm-hmm. It's a rule where formerly there wasn't one, and it's basically requesting that a whole group of people who up until now had received no kind of social feedback indicating that they were crossing any kind of line suddenly have to be aware of this minefield you know uh um because like you say like there's the obvious examples you know don't show like really disturbing porn to your kids or don't uh but uh i think you also find examples where and it it may you might not uh, you might not call them less obvious but it often has to do with where people are subconsciously doing things mm-hmm. or uh, not intending any harm with them, but sort of perpetuating certain behaviors that actually do trigger people. So, uh, you know, for instance, like you're making a, a video, you're playing a, you're playing an online game and you you express, you know, like your your dominance over the enemy's team and, con- in, you know, as if you're <laughs> raping them. Like, oh, we, we owned them. Oh, that is just... <laughs> that happens. So if you say, like, have a person uh, who, up until now, has never received any kind of, like, negative social feedback for this <laughs> and is suddenly being told, hey, uh, it's not just this, but there's probably, like, a whole list of other things that you're probably doing. And uh, I'm now going to give you homework. I need you to revise all your language and to carefully consider whether, uh, according to all these rules that, up until now, you were not aware of. Uh, so please fill in this reference sheet from now on every time you want to do something. <laughs> so you can, I can sort of sympathize at least with people who, um, I, I, I cannot sympathize with the response, mm-hmm. but I can sympathize with the sentiment of, hey, up until now I never had to do this, and all of a sudden, yeah. you know, you're stepping to me and you're saying, it is imperative if you don't want to be like the biggest of assholes that you do this. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I want to be the devil's advocate, um, I would also... I mean, there are instances where uh, the trigger warning is kind of seen as this cue for you to leave the conversation, in mm-hmm. a sense. Like, uh, if you say, oh, this is a classroom and I'm trying to ju- introduce this specific source uh, source material for uh, up for discussion or for reading, and perhaps some people have this idea of if I put a trigger warning, it means that some people would be able to get out of this due to uh, personal experiences uh, or trauma they are experiencing and and perhaps that is something that doesn't make people comfortable or but the thing is it exists you know there are people who have experienced for example like human trafficking or who have um, had traumatizing childhood experiences and to provide them with this opportunity to uh, give you feedback and actually um, 
give you the notion that they need a more comfortable spaces. Yeah. I think it is very important because otherwise, what are we trying to do? We we can't exactly stand up there and tell them, oh, you should get over it. You should brave the experience and just you're making everybody else uncomfortable. That That's not what it is, you know. So I understand it might be misunderstood, like mm-hmm. the intent of it. But at the same time, I think what it does that it allows uh, people with uh, other experiences, other traumatizing experience than us to uh, exist in a public space without the fear of um, having anxiety attacks, having panic attacks, having um, uh, PTSD all the time uh, to, you know, to protect themselves. No, and uh, on, on this, I definitely agree. I would even if uh, even if you just admit uh, not wanting to trigger someone. I think in general it it's almost respective. Uh, it's respectful towards your audience mm-hmm. if you can uh, inform them before they consume your content, before they view your show or listen oh, to yeah. you or whatever. If they have some kind of an idea as to what they're in for, what kind of content they're going to get, so they don't have to go through everything before coming to the realization whether it's something they enjoy or not before they're in too deep yeah and and and, uh, that concept counts doubly for people who actually get uh, triggered by things you know like without knowing the exact definition of what is going to be discussed and what they're going to encounter or whatever is is in that piece of of content or media you know to be able to go in with the confidence you know like i don't have to be on my guard i don't have to constantly be worried if if something like that's going to come up is very valuable and Mm. i think if we can do some things as a culture to uh, accommodate for that, or if 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 only by definition, knowing that on certain media, you know, it's fine to do whatever you want, and on certain media, it's not. I think there's a lot of things we can do to sort of make that. It it doesn't necessarily have to be a hassle. No, you know, like no. I think there's a lot of people who have this perception that it requires a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily have to be true. So. And it could be as simple as one sentence. This is what we're going to discuss today. Yeah. And that might be enough for a lot of people to just be prepared for what is coming and just, you know. So what is your personal experience regarding these phrases and their use? Um, so you mean sort of the general concept of political correctness, yeah. uh, wanting to, uh, this sort of awareness of, of language that mm-hmm. is coming up. Um, well, I mean, what I uh, personally see, uh, I have to, preface this by saying uh, I'm a cisgender middle class straight white male oh how dare you <laughs> how dare I be these things how dare you give me back your microphone <laughs> <laughs> um, so what that means of course is that uh, I don't have a lot of profound experiences of, of finding myself feeling underprivileged or mm. feeling myself marginalized uh, nearly as much as certain other groups no doubt have yeah. uh, so to me the whole concept of political correctness wanting safe spaces needing trigger warnings uh, is something that is mostly I hear other people talking about it I have to be fully transparent about that uh, I haven't like I have all these uh, this, uh, like this privileged position and I also haven't had a lot of experiences in my life you know mm-hmm. I could I could have had you know like traumatizing experiences that would require me to be more in need of trigger warnings but that's simply not the case for me personally at least not at this point um, but it is something that I see a lot more of uh, than, you know, like, uh, 
even so much as five years ago. Mm-hmm. It's something that uh, is becoming more of a hot button issue on, on, on a lot of internet communities. Um, and I'm interested in, in it. Uh, I mean, I'm, I, I would like to think I, I, I try to be conscious about my language use. Mm-hmm. And I'm also interested in sort of discussions about how languages inform the way we think and the way we act towards each other. Uh, so um, it's an it's an issue that I would like getting involved in. The downside, however, to me personally, and I think that goes down to me being like a cisgender heterosexual, straight, like middle class <laughs> white male, is the top um, of the pyramid. Sure, yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm not going to deny that. Um, so I'm sure this is going to sound like uh, even more shitty when I say it, but I found that it's very difficult for me to engage in mm. these uh, conversations because um, I can only engage with them from afar. When I actually try to get into, uh, especially on the internet, get involved in these mm. conversations, I very quickly find myself, you know, like evicted almost from the discussion <laughs> or, or at least being told that uh, I'm not supposed to be speaking mm-hmm. because... Um, there's a lot of uh, things that someone in my position can get wrong simply because of my lack of being able to relate uh, because I have, because I haven't had similar experiences. So um, it's very difficult. It's very difficult not to mess that up. And yeah. as soon as you mess one or two things up, people sort of immediately assume that you don't get it. And I'm, I basically get told to educate myself <laughs> or to, you know, to leave and, um, I think it takes a lot of commitment to keep at it and to keep showing an interest and to keep being empathic towards the movement if they're so eager to basically show you the door whenever, as the oppressor, you know, as the enemy, you try yeah. to to, to uh, show some interest and almost, you know, un- inevitably mess it up. Hmm. Uh, so that's, I don't know, that's, that's my uh, experience with the topic. I'm interested in it. I think it has like a, val- a valid position in our culture. I think it's worth discussing. But it's very difficult for me to find avenues where uh, I can, uh, I might almost say I'm looking for a safe space <laughs> <laughs> where I can have this discussion um, and not immediately sort of have my credentials being called into question for for being a person who is not in need of these things. Or be, or because I, I'm lacking a lot of information that I need to yeah. properly discuss it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what about you? I mean... <laughs> I've recently been to um, some communities that I've actually, not towards me, but towards um, your category (laughs) of the white male (laughs) cisgender that I I do see, I could almost call it hostility, but it's not in a sense that there is profound hatred, but in a sense that you just don't kind of belong in that moment. What kind of communities are you talking about, just for my reference? (laughs) <laughs> like um uh radical feminist groups okay. for example the thing is um what i think is part of the reason is that um there is a difference between what we do on tumblr and on twitter and on reddit and 4chan um and what's it happening in reality and because in the day-to-day basis on a in the real world when you go out there you work you you're studying or you're participating in politics or everything there isn't enough room for the groups of minorities to express themselves and to have that platform in order to talk and in order to discuss when you actually go somewhere that there is 
a chance to talk and to get all of this out of your system, you don't kind of want to share it with the quote-unquote oppressor, mm. you know? Yeah. Like, it is kind of my moment now to get all of the stories out and to get all those frustrations out and to get all of those microaggressions that happen to me on a day-to-day basis on, like, every minute of every day, all of those out. And I don't want you to occupy the time by your uh, lack of knowledge or your uh, insensibilities. Or I don't want to, again, hear that I'm surrounded by my (laughs) brothers and sisters that are (laughs) experiencing the same thing. Like, maybe you should just stop talking and, you know, listen. But I also can clearly see the downside of it, which is um, things are not going to change if we don't engage with the majority of, you know, uh, with the group that we think these uh, accessibilities, these oppressions are coming from, things are not going to change if we don't engage them. Because telling them to, oh, now you have to take a seat and just listen to us, talk to you, and do whatever we tell you, it's going to get a backlash, as it is getting a backlash. And that's what I see as a downside of um, having exclusive spaces for minority groups. But at the same time, I think it's very important to have that too because like, existing is sometimes frustrating and you want to get that out there and you also want to do it uninterrupted. And I think that's the important thing. You want to get out the image that you have of yourself and it is different from what you get from social media and from the traditional forms of uh media as well and you want to get out your story and if it's going to be interrupted and it's it's going to you have to explain yourself over and over again and you have to get into the same discussions you get into on in your real life it's gonna you know kind of ruin it yeah right but what have you done to try to engage like what were your strategies when something like this happens um, I think, and that's, that's like a, a telltale sign of, of not, you know, having, uh, having the experience, um, you basically witness discussions taking place yeah. uh, about the topic and you try to sort of, uh, find, or at least I would in, in common sections, try to sort of find an in, uh, to sort of join the conversation. And usually my interest would be in, uh, uh, analyzing the language that is being used or analyzing the motives mm-hmm. uh, because I uh, what I would often witness whether it's uh, a community for people of color or for feminists or for uh, you know people from the LGBTQ uh, community Plus, yep. um, they I, I would all often run into a type of language that would sort of assume my motives mm-hmm. uh, would assume that uh, uh, people from from sort of like my corner of society have certain motives for doing the things they do. And I have sort of this, uh, I think you could even safely say that I would sort of feel a need to defend that that assumption. Uh, and then I would go in mostly looking at the language of, okay, you know, how are we talking about this topic? And uh, I would also point out that these communities are uh, highly insular like you said, and I, I totally understand the need to sort of get away from the the very source of your, <laughs> you know, like your struggle yeah. and to sort of uh, have, have a nice place, uh, like a, a comfortable, uh, safe space for, for talking about these things. But I would 
basically uh, bring up the topic that you know like if you want to get out of that corner if you want to actually find wholesome solutions we need to find a way to talk to each other and i need to find a way to uh, relate to your experience and uh, so far the only way i've been able to do so is by actually befriending people who have experiences like this and hearing from them yeah and that was basically the only thing that made it relevant for me so if you're going to be in this group and you're just going to talk amongst yourselves, it's not going to uh, show up on my radar unless I really try. No. And uh, what I would basically be told is like, well, uh, the way you're phrasing this, you know, I would make them, I would of course make the mistake of over explaining their condition to them over their objectives of their yeah. group. Or, you're you know, like, mansplaining. <laughs> a mansplaining. The no whole doubt, or, uh, struggle, which is a real thing, by the way. <laughs> no doubt I might have been doing it. Yeah. Let's 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 you know like assume the worst and say that I was making a lot of rookie mistakes mm-hmm. by the way I was coming into this group. Um, but if sort of the first response is ah, it's another one of those guys, you mm-hmm. know, like show them the door, then I'm going to leave with this disgruntled feeling. And of course, it's not the job of anyone in this group to inform me. Um, but if basically all you hear is oh, uh, you know, you clearly don't understand anything about what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you should go out and inform yourself or educate yourself. My first response is like, how do I educate myself? Where am I supposed to get a proper textbook for this? Because the entire concept of these groups is that they are trying to push a worldview that uh, is not found in st- like the standard textbooks no. that we're getting in in the the norm of our society. Yeah, I think um, yeah. If I want to uh, bring up examples like in other fellow feminist groups. Uh, that I've been part of, it's uh, kind of getting tiresome to also have to explain the same thing over and over again because we would go to people, and mostly men, and we would we would invite them to our meetings, and we would even offer wine and like alcohol <laughs> and <No> food, <laughs> <laughs> try to get them with the food, and uh, the majority of the responses we would always get um, was that oh so it's like am I gonna get like uh, scolded? Am I gonna get uh, like uh, you're gonna yell at me or do I even have a space there and the more you um, try to introduce a concept and the more like knows you here and the more um, confusion over the most the the concept that you think at this point should be simple and self-explanatory and the fundamentals of our society but then the more you engage the more you realize that's not the case Mm-hmm. That's also tiring because if we um, put the burden of educating, quote unquote, um, the populace uh, on the minority groups, like on top of the struggle that they are facing on a daily day basis, I think it is not only cruel, but also it's not going to work out on a sustainable manner yep. because there is only so much energy as a human being you have. That if you have to go, <laughs> I have to go and explain oh, what is feminism and why it is important. I also have to go to another group and explain why the rights of LGBTQ plus community is important. I have to go to another place, explain uh, why it is important not to think of people as just a race and why it is wrong to try to exclude diverse groups of people from your society. So, you know, they say pick up your fight, but even within the fights that you pick (laughs) Mm -hmm. the fighting is so difficult so i think that's where it comes from like i i understand how um you're just one person and then that you see this struggle Mm. but then 
you see like one person from that minority group has seen like hundreds of people like you <laughs> and at some point they would get tired of explaining and trying to educate you and trying to guide you through the sources that could help you to understand their experiences so i think that's how it becomes a bit difficult and i can on top of that when you um see like the far right um spectrum of this problem where uh, they want to come to your spaces they want to come to your institutions and communities and universities and discuss matters that are basically um, denying your existence as a human and deny the fact that you have the right as a human because of x and y and y and z and when you don't let them they bring up the issue of freedom of speech as some kind of club to beat you up with um you get discouraged of ever engaging anyone in anything and i think it is what kind of pushes people towards um exclusion rather than having a dialogue right the thing that breaks my heart in this uh, situation which is also the, the the conclusion that i reached in my personal attempts you know to interface with uh, with uh, communities like this because uh, I, I I could totally see that I could see why it, it would end that way. I also I I I'd like to think I didn't take it personally. You know, I wasn't personally offended. Like oh, but it makes me even sadder when I realize that it's because of this. Because there's you know like uh you don't want to do that a hundred times. You don't mm-hmm. want to have to you know like hold the same speech or just go through the same process of have like again having to deal with a new a new ignorant person who again doesn't know all the nuances. Um. The and I'm I'm not pointing the fingers at anyone. Like I'm not sure where the responsibility lies. Mm. But what breaks my heart is that it basically you're just creating a lot of situations where people misunderstand misunderstand each other's intent yeah. and and fail to meaningfully you know like interact or, or or look for a solution together. Yeah. Um. I mean, it's kind of <laughs> it is sad and at the same time interesting to watch, where um like the same kind of attitude applies like um from minority standpoint i will exclude you from the conversation because i think you're just another bigoted unapologetically racist or sexist or misogynistic person and from your point of view you would dismiss me because you think i'm yet another social justice warrior trying to get some sympathy on the internet and not actually having anything to say so the thing is the attitudes of the people on the far left side and on the far right side just muddies the ground for having constructive dialogue and <laughs> to me it, it is such a such a pity like even the phrase social justice warrior is such a beautiful place a uh, phrase like it's so epic and then he used it <laughs> like honestly i'm just mad about that can we call them something else because <laughs> i like the idea of people fighting for social justice fighting for the rights of the groups that are not themselves that they would stand for um, for equality, for empathy, for compassion. And I am a feminist. I am proud to be a feminist. But then when you see some uh, behaviors of people that were like, oh, yes, just anything is sexist and misogynistic and just stop men stop talking and we should have societies that are just run by women because that's going to be peaceful i don't think it's going to be peaceful if it's only run by women or only run by run by men that's not the idea that feminism tries to portray portrays and it ruins it for everyone else you know uh, it's like you just walk in the party and you drop a bomb and you leave <laughs> mm. yeah 
yeah, I, I could I could fully see that. Uh, to move things on, maybe, because um, I'm I'm wondering what your uh, theory is as to why we're seeing more uh, of of these discussions or more discussions about this topic. Because you know, I I think that for these groups that uh, um, the issues that we're talking about here and the issues that they're trying to resolve through these measures, they're not new no. by any means. Uh, and if we're talking about social justice warriors, <laughs> like we weren't talking about social justice warriors five years ago. Uh, and now suddenly it's sort of like this term that everyone's using for uh, derogatively for, for a certain subgroup of, act- you know, like internet activists, yeah. probably. Um, so what do you think is is changing in our culture in our you know in our society that suddenly you know we're talking about like we're suddenly uh, even just average content creators or you know like uh, regular people who are normally not concerned with these issues are suddenly hearing about it everywhere i mean i do have a general hypothesis about it okay and um the thing is i think it is a <laughs> profound disappointment with uh, the internet era and with the way our communication systems work. I think we had this idea that now that we can talk to each other from every corner of the world and millions of people have access to the internet, they can Skype, they can chat, we can um, like break boundaries and of gender and of religion and of nations and we can just connect uh, on a personal level. Um, I think there's a disappointment that we actually haven't achieved much in the communication frontier, that we haven't been able to break down barriers that separate us from each other, that um, despite all of our technological advances, we're still dealing with that sweet, sweet question of how do I connect with you? How do I understand what it feels like to be in that body and not inside of mine Mm. and to see the world and to touch the world and to experience the world in the way you do Mm. and how these social systems that we put in place affect you how do i empathize with that and how do i show compassion in the meanwhile also try to protect my own identity because what the internet did was you know, we're jokingly saying, oh, if there's something you're into it, there's a chance that some corner of the internet, there are like 100 or 200 people that are also into it as well. It's somebody's fetish. It's somebody's fetish. If you're into it, it's also somebody's fetish. And there's probably porn about it out there. No doubt. <laughs> but not just about sexual things, but anything you yeah, might yeah, yeah. be into, you will find people that are into it as well. Yeah. So you go there and you join that community and it is fantastic and you can talk to each other and you understand them and they understand you and it's just beautiful and unicorns butterflies just flying around and then you look out and you step out of your house and the people and the communities who physically surround you do not understand you it could be your family it could be your workplace it could be your school anywhere they don't understand you and then it becomes this kind of inner um, anxiety of if I don't fit in this community how can I have a community of my own And at the same time, if you want that, how do you explain uh, that you want to surpass the kind of diversity that connected you with that um, community and kind of become exclusive with them and separate yourself from the rest of the world? Like, it's Mm. a kind of dichotomy that I think brings like a crisis of 
identities and of connecting and of the sense of being part of a certain nation or a certain group because the groups you were born to you don't belong to but the groups you belong to you can't really be with all the time so kind of that's my hypothesis that's that's why it become increasingly more of an issue the more we you know connect on a virtual world so just just to see if i got it uh correctly um, you're suggesting that because people find, you know, like niche groups on the internet or these communities where they find a, a level of understanding or relatability, uh, they grow disappointed that they can't have that level of connection outside of the internet because it's easier to find these these groups to, 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 to meet yeah. with these people. And also just a general, I think the human race is disappointed at the level of communication with each other. <laughs> the human race is... <laughs> the human race is so disappointed. Oh. <laughs> Um, I, I want to throw another one in there. I, I kind of think, because we, we keep coming back, it, it all has to do with language, right? Yeah. And um, I think something that you see, uh, like a, a perception from the people who, who don't seem to like agree with this, you know, direction of, of wanting trigger warnings everywhere, wanting to have safe spaces guaranteed, wanting to enforce political correctness sort of comes from this perception like wow you're being really petty about like weighing every word and oh, and, and re- <laughs> like over analyzing my casual language use you know i'm just having a conversation i'm hanging out with you we're having fun and i'm just using a figure of speech that is sort of casually racist but i just learned it this way as a kid and i'm not thinking about it and suddenly like whoa, whoa we have to stop the conversation we have to like do you realize what you're doing right now um I kind of think this is a, a thing that's not just that is happening all across the board. If we're talking about third wave uh, feminism, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's the way that we're talking about uh, race relations, whether it's the way we're talking about, you know, like dealing with people for, uh, from uh, uh, the LGBTQ plus community. Um, it all seems to come from this. Uh, uh, they all seem to be zoning in on this concept of, of mm-hmm. language right now. Uh, I want to run a theory by you. I think it has something to do with the fact that um, as a society, we've sort of dealt with the most obvious, uh, you know, like problems that we that we were uh, dealing with. You know, like um, if you're a woman or if you're a person of color, you can you can vote now. You can, you know, like hypothetically get a job with the same salary. Developed countries. Yes. Yeah. yeah, Like so in in some places (laughs) and you still have to work your ass off and you still might not get equal pay. But, you know, like um uh you see more and more countries in the world where you know like uh, you can have same-sex marriages um so and in the whole if you were just if you were to just look at policy and employment and uh, uh, voter rights and uh civil rights we seem to at least be doing better than we were maybe 50 years ago i think that uh, and as such i feel like there's less obviously bad things to point to you know you don't have segregated bathrooms anymore or and as such, uh, you're left with this uh, mountain of, like you say, like microaggressions or like tiny things that all have to do with language, like the ingrained um, assumptions that come with certain language patterns. And that is a much more nuanced problem to address, to mm. articulate, uh, and to, to just bring up in general. Uh, but it requires this high level of respect and analysis for language, but it's a much more difficult uh, point to make than to say hey can i maybe have just at least like the same base rights that you have you know do you sort mm-hmm. of see that 
this might be where where it's coming from yeah yeah i i can definitely see it the thing is <laughs> to get here and like here as in in the developed first world countries where we at least have some of the basics covered Al- although like every once in a while an incident happens and you realize that like the bases are not that covered either not guaranteed uh, not guarantee not guaranteed covered uh, but here that we at least think the basics are covered it was such a difficult fight Mm. to get here and you had to always double down on how difficult it is for a minority group for a group that is systematically oppressed for a group that is disadvantaged to get to the point that you at least have some sort of basic rights as the others and i say that with a grain of salt because say having the same rights in the eyes of law is also not the same thing as having the same rights in society and in a cultural sense and in a day-to-day life. Mm. It was such a difficult fight and you had to double down on how how, uh, inhumane, how cruel uh, the treatment of some groups of people have been that now when you're bringing up the subject of, oh, that sentence that you said was sexist or the sentence that you uh, said has some racist um, undertones to it Mm. or has some subtext to it it takes people back because as a person you do not want to be called a racist you Mm. do not want to be called a misogynist because the thing that you're associating that with is oh no, I'm not the person who would like to have slaves. I'm not a person who would like to like beat up women or be violent towards them. I'm I'm a family man or I'm a, a, I have friends, I have black friends and I have like people of color like everywhere in my company. I hire women. I don't look at them as sexual objects. And I'm not that person. You don't want to be that person. So I think it automatically triggers this kind of defense mechanism that you want to distance yourself from that image of you that you think you are if you said something insensitive or biased or, you know, uh, something that is that doesn't quite click. So I think that's part of the reason why uh, it is more difficult to talk about these nuances uh, than it is about like the bigger stuff because the bigger stuff hopefully most of us can agree on but the nuances there's also um, like a discussion going on whether saying this thing is actually like um, triggering to you or is offensive to you or why you're taking offense are you trying to limit my freedom of speech now mm. and you're trying to you know come to my space and police my language and do the same thing that we did to you like there is this all this um, paranoia of oh no i am being like pushed back from all my territories and they even want more what i don't want that i don't want to lose more of my control and my autonomy you Mm. know does that make sense um it makes sense i don't think a lot of people consciously phrase it that way in their own heads when (laughs) they're no of course not i I give credit to people's inner voices too much (laughs) (laughs) perhaps you do um how I, it makes sense to the extent that I would I would argue. I mean, you you see a lot of people uh, one get very defensive. It's almost like a, a natural thing when, uh, and I think I've myself have been guilty of this quite a couple of times. It's very difficult not to uh, want to defend your own good intentions when you feel that they're being called into question. Uh, and it sort of derails the, the the discussion. You're making it about you and your good intentions, which only further, you know, like offends mm. the other party because you you find yet another way to marginalize them. Yeah. Um. So 
what you see uh, is is that people are very uh, worried that if uh, not only that they're unintentionally you know like being assholes for without meaning to be assholes you know like this is just how i talk i don't mean to come across that way to you uh and there might even sort of be a fear of a slippery slope you know if you're talking about a loss of control like this okay now you want me to drop these words uh how do i know that next week you're not going to show up to my office with another list of you know now mandatory shifts in language patterns that i have to comply to in order to not lose my license to be a decent human fucking being yeah um how do i know when it's over how do like you keep finding like new layers for me to be <laughs> like a, a horrible a horrible person uh so yeah there's definitely this uh it, it's it's precisely sort of the lack of uh, of knowledge of you know like how how much needs to happen how much is expected of me and mm. uh, I called it a field of landmines earlier you know like there's this uh, you're not entirely sure when you're about to mess up or not and that uh, when you're uh, you know trying to engage with these communities that also at least I can personally say like it it creates some trepidation. Because uh, you notice that you're uh, sometimes, you know, like you intentionally or unintentionally offend people. And then it really depends on whether you feel like you're entitled to be offensive. Mm-hmm. You know, then you, you can see where that road goes. You're like, well, that, that discussion is not going to last long. Or it's yeah. not going to be a proper discussion for long. Uh, or you want to be constructive, but you find it increasingly difficult to do so. You know, it takes a long time for you to sort of catch up, so to say. And I can see why a lot of people would rather not deal with that entirely and just, you know, take a step back and be like, uh, you know what, regardless of whatever it is that you're saying right now, I mean, well, I've never tried to harm any of you. I think you're, you know, like completely overdoing this. You're completely yeah. uh, over, over assuming. I mean, uh, I think still the role of language and of speech in the continuation of um, systems of oppression and of disadvantage that are in place, um, it's being undermined. Like people don't believe that using a certain language helps them to um, remain and have a disposition of advantage and privilege over others, mm. and that. Because there is no language to describe certain things. Like, for example, in English language, we have like a he and she pronouns. And now we are talking about having that, uh, what effect that does and whether we should introduce more. Mm -hmm. And there are some languages that have introduced more. So if you take this as a hostile act uh, towards your own culture, towards your own language, as kind of a takeover, then it's not going to take you so far. But um, if you look at it as a way of um, members of certain communities trying to claim space Mm. where previously they had none and try to create a narrative that they are in charge of, Mm. then you could understand why there is so much emphasis on the the language and there's so much emphasis on on the speech. But I can, I can also see, yeah, I can see the insecurity and the, yeah. It would, it would also make sense to me that uh, if language has been uh, continuously, like if you're so consciously aware of how language has been used to oppress you systematically over and over, you build up much more of an appreciation for it and how little it takes to sort of in- ingrain certain patterns or certain responses into a culture. 
and to then perpetuate, you know, certain kinds of sexism or misogyny or, you know, like harmful treatment towards certain uh, uh, groups. Um, so then because you have sort of this like a lot of personal experience relating to that subject, your respect for language, I think, grows and your awareness of it grows. But then you have to basically go up to a lot of people who uh, lack that experience. And because of that, don't put the same weight on every word. Yeah. And, you know, like they basically find their uh, every every statement, you know, like every everything you say next to the the water cooler certainly becomes like a political speech that you have to sign with your name and yeah you you're gonna be like graded on whether or not you were being pc enough mm-hmm. um i can see why a lot of people wouldn't sign up <laughs> for that but i can also see like the the that's then sort of like the you know like the the disparity between uh you not only have to explain what changes you would like to see in language because you have an understanding of how that would you know improve your position you also have to prove or convince you know like uh, the other group that language has that power mm. and uh that i think is like a double argument that you have to make at the same time which is very tricky to do when you're basically dealing with people who, ha- who in the past haven't seen the necessity to analyze their own language to that extent yeah because we were in fact occupied with <laughs> bigger fights you know mm. it's True. like oh yeah, yeah. as far as i'm not getting killed in the street i'm not going to care if you call me with a racial slur mm. like but when you to some extent move on from that fight then the other one tries to like becomes more important to you yeah. i think one of the things that also makes for example third way feminism a bit tricky is that um the fight is not the same everywhere mm. like we're not equal everywhere so at the same time I think people ignore the emotional effects that it has of um, a group of people who you uh, empathize with and you find yourself a part of. It's like, okay, women. If women are extremely oppressed in one part of the world, uh, I'm not going to be sitting here all comfortable and just think about how language affects me. I am also worried about them. You know what I mean? Like People don't um give the weight to the emotional burden that that has yeah and the thing is this kind of duality of not being on equal footing uh has also paved the way for people to dismiss your um, um your points of criticism your struggle because they say oh well women are getting killed in this country women are getting flocked in this country they can have they can vote in this country and you are here worrying about uh, like this word and that word like and that makes it even more difficult to communicate like it's kind of part of the discussion where uh, I lose the connection is where I kind of slip into the kind of being angry part mm. of the thing because if you try to say oh if you're telling me to not say this word because it is offensive to women and because it is sexist and because it has traditionally been used to perpetuate this idea that masculinity is more important than femininity, uh, then this is reverse sexism. Or in other cases, oh, this is reverse racism. That's part of the conversation that I kind of lose it. Mm. And (laughs) I'm not saying that as a thing that I'm proud of, but it's just, it's the point where I know I lost you. And I can't make the connection anymore. And therefore, we cannot have a dialogue anymore because you're just kind of being unreasonable. And I don't know how to reach out to you where you are or I don't just have the energy to reach out to you because I think, okay, 
if you want to come here and talk with each other and try to figure out a solution to the problems we are facing mm. and the problems we face are also the problems you're facing because we could all be better together and ride centers and unicorns if we were all like on equal footing i want i need you to at least be in a certain level like mm. i don't want to always start at level zero we should have some sort of savings <laughs> that we can all go and start at <laughs> right but um i think i think the point still stands that you're trying to fight on two battlegrounds at the same time like you're Multiple for one battlegrounds yeah like for one you're you're trying to get people to care about the issue in the first place mm -hmm. Uh, like an issue that maybe they themselves don't have to personally deal with, but you're trying to get them to care about your cause. And the other one is that you have to persuade people to actually start self-analyzing their language. Because in, in my experience, it doesn't work. At least I haven't responded very well when people would sort of very confrontationally come up to me and tell me, hey, you're using that and that word. You should stop that because you're an asshole. Mm. You know, the, then... Uh, when that is sort of like the, uh, uh, and I'm not saying that everyone from this community is, like, <laughs> is, is treating me that way, but um, at least in, in my experience, it I've made a lot more progress. I think personally, uh, when I, uh, I felt safe enough to, you know, like uh, reflect on myself by myself, when there's not uh, sort of the fear of judgment from from someone else, mm -hmm. and then when you actually start. So first you have to make the commitment to do that. Then you have to make the commitment to start actually learning about, you know, like uh, language and how 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 that works and how it informs your subconscious assumptions. And then you have to start taking in experiences from people from these communities, filtering them, filtering your own language, thinking about it, and then coming to some conclusions and then resolving to actually do something about it. And that's a lot of, you know, uh, I'm not saying it shouldn't be done, but I'm saying it's a lot to ask from... Uh, from someone who perhaps up until that point has not seen any reason uh, and, and, and also hasn't seen any harm. I think language is, is something that we, it, it's, it's, it's perhaps the most important thing that we all share, that we all use, but that we think so little about. And I think a lot of people go through life not really stopping to think about language to that extent. And you're now basically dealing with, uh, like you said, like a lot of uh, oppressed groups a lot of minority groups who basically need us as a global culture to evolve that understanding yeah. for them to get their point across <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, so but how, okay because we talked a lot about it on until now and it feels like we are both expecting <laughs> like a level of commitment mm. into the betterment of the world from both sides like mm. from one side to keep engaging in a dialogue despite the fact that they are being disadvantaged and the other side to at least go through the hassle of looking at history and coming up to you know educate themselves to the level that they can they they are capable of on their own and then enter the conversation mm -hmm. and also we need both of the parties to come into it with good intentions of we're trying to get through this yep. how how are we doing <laughs> I'm I'm so glad you didn't ask me what should we do. Oh, that's <laughs> the next question. No, I, no, no, no. Don't ask me that. I don't know. <laughs> no, what is your plan? <laughs> Shit. Okay, at least you gave me some time to prepare for it. Um, how are we doing? Um, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, 
I, I would like to think that a lot of these things are happening. We're having the discussion in the first place because of where culture is going. And what, what I mean by that is we're, we're going through this period of globalization where, uh, yes, the internet puts us in filter bubbles and puts us in isolated groups, but it also connects us to, to, to people to a greater extent than we ever have been. We have an entire generation of people who is, who is growing up in the global village and who is considering their identity more of like an international one than a, a, a national or even regional one. And I think with, uh, you know, development like that inevitably comes this type of perspective and also that perspective becoming more mainstream. Um, I could argue maybe even that the idea of like all these uh, requests for, uh, you know, changing which personal pronouns you use or what words to not use or to include trigger warnings or to have safe spaces or to, to, to moderate your language using somehow. I think that uh, practice like a, a couple hundred years from now is going to seem obvious. <laughs> I think we're now going through the phase where as a culture we're evaluating it. And um, perhaps for a lot of people it's not going fast enough. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> but I think... And this, this might be a bit of a depressing uh, stance to take. But I think it's almost inevitable because when you want to, uh, you know, achieve such a change, especially in language on an international level, you have to basically get the rest of the species to agree or a majority <laughs> of the species to sort of consent to say, okay, we're going to do this. Yeah. In order to do that, you have to talk to them and you have to include them. Um, I think we have a lot of work left to do. But I also think in the, in the long term, it's inevitable that we'll get there. But it's more a matter of uh, how long is it going to take us? Yeah. How do you are, how do you, what, yeah. Is that something you see or? I, I think, yeah. I mean, I think we are kind of snailing towards the... <laughs> towards a resolution but at the same time um yeah at least for me it's not fast enough because um the the lives that you literally lose on the way to get there i'm not sure it's if we can call it oh it was like worth sacrifice towards having a better understanding as a whole species like well, well i mean just just to be clear i'm not trying to say oh you know that's just you can't really do anything about that that's bound to happen we'll just have to be patient and you know like it's not <laughs> I'm trying no, to i go understand that's not what you're saying okay. but i mean when we are busy discussing whether we should actually give minority groups this space for them to claim the language that they need and to express themselves with uh, we are arguing oh whether we should or not how is it going to affect us people die and that is not a hyperbole. That is what happens <laughs> because we allow this um, systematic uh, violence towards them to continue. Yeah. So I would like to see it move faster, but I'm I'm not sure about the about the how because um, how do you feel about state regulated um, solution for you know political correctness and policing language because i know it's quite a slippery slope but i also i don't know they people bring germany as a example of a place where uh, hate speech is banned and you're not supposed to say certain things but the way i am seeing populism uh, move its way towards europe and also in the united states like it doesn't seem to be a favored solution 
at least for even like the center or like the, the middle conservative right side of it like I think even that is too much of a step for them. So why do we just surrender to the <laughs> to the will of humanity, see where it takes us? Or can we actually put this in inside of our constitution, inside of our laws, try to have create some sort of safety net hmm. that we can, like a basic that we can all agree on and then move on from there? Hmm. I mean, if if we're getting into uh, should we use, you know, like state power, should we put this stuff into policy? Um, I've definitely seen a lot of uh, people who are opposed or, or either directly opposed to the concept of political correctness or don't want to take it to the extent that a lot of groups want to take it. I've seen a lot of them compare it to either, you know, like Germany, like a, a lot of totalitarian regimes, you know, yeah. like because uh, basically every totalitarian government has a strong interest in controlling how people talk mm. um and it's it's obviously like when you're uh, mortified of having your free speech taken from you that's sort of like the, the nightmare scenario you know you're afraid that one day you're gonna wake up it's gonna be 1984 and uh, <laughs> uh except with a big sister maybe uh <laughs> big sister <laughs> No more men. <laughs> no more no more male power figures. Down with the patriarchy. I mean, honestly, it is telling that I'm almost somewhat interested in seeing that. <laughs> okay, well maybe we could talk about that. We'll, we'll 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 write it. Just like, you know, give us the opportunity to be dictators as well. <laughs> Before the dawn of humanity. <laughs> um I am joking, by the way, if it was not clear. You, you, you better be. <laughs> anyway, uh like uh, so, you know, like your your question. Um, I think the, the, the counter-argument is fair, actually. And I'm getting the impression, if I want to, you know, like, introduce some more hyperbole, that these, um, these groups, especially the ones on the, uh, the, the internet-based ones, the, the, the ones from our generation, from the millennial generation, are perhaps a little too tempted by the power of the dark side. <laughs> um... Because it would be so convenient. You know, you had your own little focus group. You analyzed the problem. You uh, you figured out, ah, we now have like a list of prescriptions. That would perfectly solve it. Now, if only we could, you know, like force them into law so that ev we don't have to actually, you know, convince everyone. Because like you say, it, it shouldn't necessarily be their job. And it would take a really long time. Yeah. And... um. It wouldn't. It wouldn't necessarily be the just way to go about it. Uh, at the same time, I think you have to appreciate the uh, legitimacy of the argument that once you start using the power of the state to enforce how people talk, two things will happen. At least, uh, the first is that you mimic the the behavioral patterns of the system you're trying to replace. You know, when you use when you're opposed to a patriarchy and you start using the tools of patriarchy to take it down, are you any better? To me, that just looks like you're replacing it with your own social order that is more beneficial or in line with your views. But, you know, to hell with anyone who feels differently. Um, in a lot of instances, you don't even change the social order. You basically take the place, like, take your place at the seat. Like, yeah. you don't even go along. Like, that's why revolutions are not very... Uh, attractive ideas in a sense that people would practically want to go for them because you know they, they consume their own children because you, the thing that you do is to when you get on top 
you let um, the history that you have with uh, the group that used to be on the top get on the way of coming up with more uh, equal systems that would not advantage a group over the other mm-hmm. it's like oh it's my turn and now i'm going to be great and my ideals should should rule and my way of life should be uh, the primary uh, constitution in this country you yeah know? but i mean but you say it's actually you I, I think you would agree with this a revolution is to the people in it a lot more appealing because you say like okay guys we can choose either we topple the government in three weeks and we completely replace it with people we trust, that we like, that have the ideas that we approve of, or we commit to like a 50-year process of re-education and, oh, yeah. and, and disseminating a, information to hopefully maybe uh, through like a, I don't know, like a referendum get our ideas <laughs> into into effect. And that also has no glory for one person. Like you right. can't have your portrait of riding a horse and having like a sword in your hands. You if that. you just go for the, oh, I just changed generations of people uh, through education and through like dialogue. And it's like nobody, no. <laughs> I mean, so that's, that's the first uh, 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 thing is like, if you actually want to if you actually want justice if you don't just want to replace one set of ideals with another and you actually want to improve the stock of our society you have to find better tools the second and uh i'm not sure which one's more important but uh the second one is that when you start using these tools you will inevitably uh force everyone who doesn't like your idea to dig their heels in you will for you'll basically force them to, to actually mount a more you know violent defense against your your ideas because you're not just you know proposing them you're enforcing them mm. and if someone hasn't really warmed up to them yet it, it that is sort of a declaration of war it's far more easy for them to interpret it as they're coming for our language they're coming for my culture it's um, it's now going to be you know government policy that this thing that i've always been doing is now su- makes me like literally hitler so <laughs> Um, but can I, we I, I'm least... not saying that's a okay. reason not to do yeah. it <laughs> uh, but I am saying it will inevitably be a side effect of going yeah. going that route you will not make friends with the people who you need the most to warm up to the idea Yeah, but can we at least acknowledge that um, maybe we should find a way to at least not hear about peaceful ethnic cleansing <laughs> every once in a while as a legitimate form of opinion. <laughs> peaceful ethnic cleansing? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, can we at least not have that level of... No, of course. <laughs> of course we can. I'm just saying, uh, I'm, I'm actually... Um, I, was, I was going through reasons why it might, you know, strand or what like the first is a reason, you know, like why I think if you want to be better and not just replace it, you mm. know, the second is more of a if you choose to do it anyway, this is what's going to happen because you're actually uh but I am all for putting this topic m- making it a matter of public debate, making it a matter of public policy. Um I just think and this is this is why I call it a millennial thing and why I call it being tempted by the dark side. It is so tempting to use these tools the tools of the patriarchy especially if they've been used on you yeah uh to say well if that's apparently how this works i can just force my ideals into law and then uh why shouldn't i do that uh and it's also and why it is a millennial thing is because that means you will get to make an impact quickly we are especially if you're from the internet you know like you can 
and you're in a, uh, like a niche group, you can, I, I often feel like culture is evolving faster on the internet than it is outside of it because like the rate of human interaction is just higher. The rate of new ideas clashing into other new ideas yeah. is higher. So you expect that level, that rate of, you know, like cultural evolution from the rest of the world and then you're not going to get it. So you are immediately tempted to say, well, if they won't warm up to it, we'll just force them. But yeah. I think there's... <laughs> I think we can all sort of acknowledge that as tempting as that is, it at the worst case will just earn people who it will earn you more animosity towards your ideology rather than having, you know, like people who are in the middle, the monitors like warm up to it. They will just see just another another form of oppression. Mm. Yeah, at least I can see that. But, you know disappointed at the rate <laughs> the things progress i was i was expecting you to say well that's great but then what do we do yeah <laughs> then what we do what do we do in the meanwhile we, when we and, can't use like you know at least on a personal level what i i i try to avoid is that kind of gotcha moment that mm. when i'm encountering this like a sexist speech or a racist speech or something like i wouldn't try to jump like it's like a hunt right. and we are trying to point out the worst person possible. And mm. this is kind of a, you know, an Olympic of who's the worst person show of hands, mm -hmm. but to try to engage and try to talk about it. Or if you're hearing a joke that is inappropriate and you can just, you know, ask for explanation, but it's also something, you know, I, I put that pressure on myself mm. and I don't know how to, um, require that from other people and i also don't know how to um, signal that um if we are engaging in this thing you know don't try to attack me and destroy me because i pointed out that you were wrong somewhere you know <laughs> yeah yeah don't, <laughs> like, don't get super defensive don't get super de defensive and let's have a talk mm. well people are in, in at least in my culture afraid of being wrong you know like you're afraid of being proven wrong you're afraid of people pointing that out so whenever I someone it's kind of a global thing too like you don't it's, you don't like it when people point out that you're wrong making mistakes is not yeah. uh, you know it's the only way we learn but it's always sort of like humiliating when mm. when that happens i i might al I almost want to argue and this again uh it's going to sound super moderate of me <laughs> you know rather than say oh you know we should get on the barricades and fight for you know like 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 freedom from oppression I think one of the steps that uh, if you want to, you know, like have a like a, a worldwide rollout of acceptance for ideas like this, it almost seems to me like a prerequisite would be that uh, the, the baseline level of respect for language would go up. Mm -hmm. So you actually would need the level of like linguistic and philosophical understanding of the average person. Uh, and, and this I suppose this goes down to basic education. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like elementary, middle, high school that. Uh, you include subjects that aren't necessarily political or, or activist in nature, but just cause you to reflect on how does your language inform your worldview and that of others and how you act towards people. Yeah. Because if you're already in the habit of, of analyzing that outside of, you know, like the having to defend yourself from this, these accusations of being uh, an unintentionally horrible person, I think it would be easier to receive that kind of feedback and to and to incorporate it. Well, the thing is that idea in and of itself, it's kind of a state solution. And it's a state solution that is supposed to incorporate an ideology that I have and that you have that we should, in fact, pay attention to 
language and to culture and how it incorporates the systems that allow us to be advantaged, to have privilege over others. And like just starting to, you know, introduce that as something that we should all as a society go towards, it's already a hassle because I know people are trying. Yeah. Like just the idea that we should not look at history with such a neutral view and we should challenge it and we should also engage in history of the other part of the world, especially if you're living in a country that has engaged in colonialism, you should try to decolonize science and you should try to decolonize education that in itself also sparked controversy because not everybody agrees with that. So, mm. you know, it's a great solution on paper, but <laughs> we've been trying to do that and it's, you know, hasn't worked out in a larger scale. Well, I mean, I, I would argue uh, a major difference between uh, that solution and uh, directly trying to force the use of certain personal pronouns or other language patterns into laws. Uh, a focus not so much on a specific type of language but a focus on reflection mm -hmm. just like how philosophy doesn't necessarily push a single idea it pushes critical thinking and i think as a culture we lack the idea to critically reflect on our own language use mm -hmm. uh, it's something that is not educated so that when you bring it up you become the least popular person at every party ever yeah uh, because it's it's boring and uh, you know it's confrontational and it's, it's confrontational boring and everybody's just trying to have a good time and nobody cares that you're dying. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Um, but I I hear you and I also don't want uh, to end this discussion on a note of well you know uh, we'll have to just accept that it's going to be a slow crawl towards maybe eventually getting there but we don't know for sure. I think it actually boils down to because it's it's such a layered problem with so many factors and so many key players, it also boils down to making a stand even if uh, even if it doesn't seem like it matters. Even if you're not uh, running for office or in office, even if you're just like... Uh, I think if you take like little decisions to... to uh, try to talk about these things, to bring make them a matter of public debate, to make it a matter of at least clarifying to other people that it's something that you care about. Mm -hmm. If you add all these things up, it could result in sort of this cultural momentum and make this idea a lot more tolerable or a lot more mainstream. But it requires for you to basically get out of your comfort zone and, and uh, expose yourself to this potential embarrassment of, of being proven wrong or having uh, receiving negative feedback. I think a lot of the uh, emphasis should be on uh, literally everyone being a bit more open to receiving that kind of feedback, being more empathic. Um, one of the reasons why I think we're going to get there, that's sort of the optimist in me, is because of the globalization. Like the more friends you make, the more people you meet who are from different backgrounds who have these experiences, the more you're going to be able to relate it to you socially, that it's not just a matter of policy, that it's not just a matter of how your country runs, but it becomes a matter of how are my friends doing, uh, the people that I, that I care about. That, at least for me, has been a driving factor. You know, like when it becomes a problem that someone you care about is dealing with, you suddenly it becomes a lot easier to care. So the more people that we meet who are not from our direct peer group, who are not from our country, who are not from our uh, uh, ethnic or, 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 or sexual or, you know, like national bubble, um, 
the more likely it is that you will hear about experiences that will cause you to think about it. Yeah. I think I'm going to express an unpopular opinion, and that is, <laughs> I think we might owe our um, SJW brothers and sisters a bit of a thank, <laughs> because the fact that they their relentless efforts into bringing up these conversations in every single opportunity, founder or unfounded criticism of the speakers, may have opened up the way for us to discuss it, to talk about it, to say, oh, well, here they were wrong, this was not a matter of sexist or racist speech, or here they might actually be right. And I think that's part of the things that is going to, you know, deliver us from these times and just to recognize that everything is connected and nothing is just one thing you things are complicated and layered and um, we should pay attention to it as such so thank you for having this conversation with me you white male cisgender person <laughs> I'm, I'm grateful that you didn't judge me too hard while we were having this conversation <laughs> <laughs> Um, can, can I just uh, uh, offer a, a general takeaway also that when we um, when we think about our language, when we talk about it, I think uh, I want to go back to one of our points all the way from the start. Mm. That that's going to be my takeaway. That uh, if we're going to have safe spaces, and I'm all for safe spaces, let's also have spaces where we know that it's safe to express any idea because mm. that should please everyone and if you want to go and have a space where you can be just like an unapologetic big that there's 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 a place for that <laughs> just realize that uh you know you have to contend with a, a lot of people who have different experiences than you and that ever uh, that if we can just as a species get to the point where we can uh respect the subjectivity of experience that would get us quite far and if we can combine that with an ability to every once in a while let go and make terrible jokes about how horrible we are to each other, to not, um, like you say, like as, uh, as much as SJWs have helped to sort of frame the problem, <laughs> sometimes it also helps to not have every word weight and be able to laugh about it and be able yeah. to, 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 to let go and to not always be, you know, on watch for being, yeah. for being at your best. I know that this might come from a position of privilege, but I think we shouldn't let humor and joy of life leave our discussions because ultimately that's what we're fighting for, to live the life we want to live and to have fun and to have all the pleasures in our disposal. So, yeah, be mindful of each other and, you know, everything will be all right, I guess. <laughs> well, in a so. thousand years. <laughs> Ah, that was not what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> no, but in, in general, I think you're right. And uh, we'll all have to do our best with uh, humility, good intentions, and humor to try to be better than we were yesterday. And uh, I mean, I hope that also as we keep going on with these episodes, as we all keep going about our lives, you know, that we'll, uh, we'll all try to just be better towards each other. And, and yeah. Cheers to that. <laughs> and thank you so much to our listeners for joining in for another episode of Shell Shock. Yeah, uh, we hope you enjoyed the format. It was a little bit more freeform than the last, last episode about Mass Effect. Also a completely different topic. Yes. So we hope we didn't alienate half of you. <laughs> also to the other half, welcome. <laughs> uh, next episode will probably be about something completely different. We'll, uh, we'll leave you in the dark about that. But. Yeah, leave us a comment or send us an email, whatever suits you. And we'll talk to you next time.